This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I recap the show through episode 195 with a special look at the combatants of the Warehouse Rumble, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. We're back. We're back. Yes, we are. Just had a great lifting session in the garage. Been yep. a while since I've done one of those with you. Great times. Yeah, good times. Some deadlifts. Deadlifts. Some jambalaya after. Yeah. Uh, not going to lie. Feeling a little sluggish right Feel now. Little, yeah. You know, chock full of protein and jambalaya. Mm-hmm. The cotton candy bang I consumed before the workouts really pulling a lot of weight. Yeah, I was feeling real slow this afternoon, so I had a bang at like 3.30, knowing that mm. uh, might not make it all the way, but I couldn't wait till right before the workout. Yeah. What flavor were you drinking there? I had cotton candy as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. No, I Meant think on be. it. Yeah. I only have four flavors. I have the Costco pack, so it's the mm. cotton candy, the peach mango, the uh, star blast, and the rainbow unicorn. I usually rotate. I get them in the four packs. They have all the singles, the Lucy's, as mm-hmm. I like to call them at my grocery store, but they're like three bucks a pop, Yeah, which is, I mean, worth it, but it's a tough habit. It's a tough habit, but I got to get the four packs because the four pack is $8. And so it's like, sometimes you just get a flavor you don't really want, but the savings are there. Yeah. Yeah. There are the savings. It's kind of like, you know, as, as someone that's kicked a nicotine habit. <laughs> Bang's really not a great substitute cost-wise. Oh. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, it's probably higher than me, but I'm a four bang a week guy now since I'm working out four days a week. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much a bang every weekday. Expensive habit, but, you know, for the they're, gains, though. They're good, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what, Griffin? I think I want to change things up just a little bit in our regular agenda here. It's all laid out nice and pretty. But we do have some hot off the press news, which probably won't be hot off the press by the time this comes out because we're recording a little bit ahead. But we finally have our meetup plan yeah. for PaizoCon 2022. PaizoCon plans. Yes. Did it. Finally. So here's the deal. Very limited amount of people going to PaizoCon this year. It's just the way it is. You don't have to go to PaizoCon to come to our meetup. How cool is that? You live in the Seattle area? We're not area? limiting it to 500 people. Bring oh, as many people yeah. as you want. Yeah, we could have more than 500 people at our meetup, sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, but if you're coming to the con, you absolutely should come out with us. If you're not but are in the area or are not far away from the area and would like to travel and hang out with us, you should do that. We're going to be meeting up Saturday, the 28th of May at this brewery called Future Primitive. It's at 7 p.m., so... You better be there. It's going to be Griffin. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to have Chris. Everybody knows and loves him. And we're going to have Eric too. And Eric's awesome. And he's been on Zone of Truth before. Obviously, everyone who's ever been on the Discord has seen Eric a bunch of times. So like he basically is part of the family. We're going to have a nice crew out there this year. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Yeah. 
So just wanted to plug that right up at the top, just in case people got a split early or something from the episode. Uh, and the after party is TBD, but there's a couple dive bars in the area. The after party is confirmed in that we will be out till 2 a.m. <laughs> Where that happens, though, is up for question. So let us know. We're going to be there in HLP shirts. We're going to be pretty hard to miss. Yeah. So, all right. With that out of the way, what have you been up to, Griffin? Uh, I've been playing a new monster catching game called Coromon. Ooh, it's okay. cool. Um, it's like brand new. I could only get it on Steam. I'm only a little bit in, but I like the graphics. It kind of reminds me of, for those of you that know monster catching games because you play Pokemon, it reminds me of Gen 5 Pokemon. So it's like pixel art, but the pixels are animated, like the monsters are animated and that kind of thing. And it's got some really interesting shiny mechanics, which again, for those of you that like Pokemon, is like a different color variant of each monster that's like really rare. But they have two color variants for each monster. So like one is you have a one in 32 chance when you catch one of getting a special color. And then the other one is like a one in 3,900 chance. And it's like the really special color. So have you got any of those? No, I have not. I've just watched people play it because I was curious about it before I bought it. And yeah, I saw somebody get one of the special colors. Nice. And they explain the mechanic, but it's pretty fun. I think One Piece is my favorite anime. Wow. Now I think I've decided nearing the end of the 500s. Okay. And boy, howdy. I think like the emotional roller coaster that was the Marine Ford arc and then the whole crew getting back together after the time skip and Fishman Island and Jean Bay being back and all that stuff. It got a lot deeper emotionally than it was for 400 some episodes in the last hundred or so episodes. Uh, you know, I won't give any spoilers, but characters die, like characters change with the time skip and stuff. Like everybody is different two years later, but it brings the power scale way up as, as you see happen a lot in anime. Like the two years has everybody like training really hard and becoming like far more powerful than they were in the past. So it's really interesting exploring that and exploring all the new devil fruits and the new power system, which is hockey, isn't explored in the first 400 episodes of One Piece is the reason why people are really powerful in One Piece. It's not the devil fruits, it's hockey. So, Like the game hockey? It's spelled H-A-K-I. Ah, um, yeah, that makes sense. And it's like spiritual power, and there's like three types of it, and... I won't go into the detail around it. It's just, it's the same as I think when I was talking about Hunter Hunter, like Nen, which is like an ability that people get three seasons in. <laughs> it's just like, okay, this is what everybody has now. It's a midichlorians of anime. Exactly. Yeah. That's a pretty common theme in a lot of anime I've seen. It's just <laughs> like, well, everybody has cool powers because of this, but now we're going to do this, which makes people even more strong. So that's been, I've, I've been enjoying that a lot, but that's pretty much all I'm watching. As you can hear, I, I'm 80 episodes past where I was a month ago. So spending a lot of time watching that. Yeah. My perception of One Piece was always that it was like a little goofy, which it sounds like it is. Mm -hmm. And there was just so much of it that I was questioning whether or not people loved it so much because 
frankly, it's like a sunk cost thing. Well, I've spent 600 episodes in. I love this show. But to hear that it has like a little bit of emotional stakes and stuff now is is nice. Yeah. And, I, you know, there's a little bias there. Everybody knows that I love pirate stuff. Mm-hmm. It does that. I loved like the history of pirates when I was younger. Yeah. And so it's really fun when like they name their characters like Edward Teach is Blackbeard. Yeah. Like, you know, they're the names of historical figures and that kind of stuff. So it's it's kind of fun in that way, too. That's pretty dope, man. Well, as for me, I have had a whole bunch of stuff going on lately. I finished the short second life of Brie Tanner in Eclipse Novella. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. Very good. I am now reading the Catherine Hardwick director's journal for the original Twilight movie. Actually kind of fascinating because you learn how people direct movies and stuff. I really enjoy it. I am about 30 minutes away from finishing season four of True Blood. All right. Let me tell you, season four, fucking slog. Oh <laughs> my God. It's been a time, Griffin. I don't care for the witches. No. <laughs> no. Oh, God, I forgot about that part. Yeah, man, they're just really running the clock. And all these side plots going on, none of them are particularly interesting. I don't really care anything about Jason. Oh, man, it's been a trip. So as soon as I finish season four, I mean, clearly I'm going to finish the show. Mm. But I am going to take a little bit of a break like I do in between seasons. I think it's going to be Doom Patrol. I've been teasing oh, yeah. that for a while. Yeah, be... At least the first season. You will not really regret hit. Doom Patrol. I might do both. Yeah, but Do- yeah. Doom Patrol is one of my favorites. I think that's my next go-to. I did watch a movie recently, and this is a weird one because I'm not really sure if I want to recommend it to people, but I wanted to talk about it anyway. Have you heard of a movie called Titan? No. Have you heard of Raw? Mm-mm. Okay. So Raw was a French horror movie that is about cannibalism. Okay. And it's really fucking good. So it's not wrestling. No. I see I see where your head's at. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I have heard it. of some. Yeah. I respect it, but it's not the case. Raw was phenomenal. And so I believe it's the director of the production studio or something made a second movie called Titan. And I was like, wow, I should get around to that. Finally got around to it this week. Mm. It was a trip, man. Truly, I was sitting there again, alone in my apartment. And it was probably two dozen times where I vocalized, that's odd, or how strange, (laughs) or wow. It was a trip. So it's the story of this girl, when she's very young, is in a car accident and gets a titanium plate put in her head. Then time skips about 20 years in the future, and she has a sexual fixation with cars. Okay, this is getting into hideous tomfoolery territory. Pretty close, actually, yeah. Okay. Did you recommend it to them? Zach specifically So would you love say this. that as a joke, but I think it would be a phenomenal inroad to get ready for their Signal Screams content. Oh, yeah? I think it fits in really well. So she has this sexual fixation with cars and is also a serial killer, is just murdering people, and goes on the run. Mm-hmm. And when she does, she disguises herself as one of her victims and like moves in with their family. But she's also pregnant at the time. And I don't want to spoil this movie for anybody who's interested in watching it, but it's just very, very strange. It's got some good body horror to it. But I don't know, like 
do your homework on this movie first before you sit down and, t- and commit the near two hours to this thing. Does she fuck a car? Oh, yeah. That's all I needed to know. Yeah. So, like, if anybody was interested in, like, a good French horror movie, I would say absolutely watch Raw. If you're interested in Titan, maybe look up some stuff about it first, because I'm glad that I saw it so I can talk to people about it. But I don't know if it was like the best way for me to spend two hours. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think like Disney really took a turn when they did for Cars 4. Yeah. The Cars 4 Titan, like rebranding it Titan was yeah. a little odd. Live uh, action too. Lightning I'm, McQueen, really, like. Mater's got a hog. Yeah, well. He can lay tailpipe if you know what I mean. That's what most people say about Larry the Cable Guy. Dear God. All right. Well, so Titan, odd. Check it out if maybe you think that's something weird enough for you but you know we'll see anyway i got like five different songs that came out in the last week that i'm all individually excited for i'm not going to spend any time with them but like if you're into the same type of music i am destroy rebuild until god shows put out another song that's incredible architects came back with a song that fucking slaps the wonder years put out a new song that's awesome and just this crowning achievement of awesomeness we came as romans teamed up with this i don't know what the right subgenre is i don't know if it's like deathcore or grindcore or something but they teamed up with this extremely heavy band called brand of sacrifice and like remixed their old song dark bloom and it's so heavy and so fucking good if you like the music that i like definitely check that out so just a couple plugs for really cool songs nice all right let's move on to our first segment we are tasting the abita spring loaded variety pack it's been a while since we've tried a seltzer pack on this show. Yeah. Full two weeks. But this one is crafted with an all-natural spring water and Louisiana cane sugar. The spring-loaded variety pack is the best way to refresh your routine. So for those of you who may think that Abita sounds familiar, they're famous for their purple haze beer, which is, I think, some sort of wheat beer with some sort of fruit in it. I think it's like raspberry or something. I've had it a bunch of times. It's very, very tasty. These folks are from Covington, Louisiana, and uh, I'll tell you what. into the seltzer market. I'll tell you what. We had a sneak preview of this pack. We tried one of the seltzers about a week ago. Um, What were you thinking on that, Griff? I was pretty buzzed and I hated it. So So with a full stomach of jambalaya, I'm sure you're really good. Yeah, I don't want to divulge further before we start uh, Okay. Start drinking these, but just know I already have a preconceived notion. Yeah, the preconceived notion was we split one of them and was like, we have to talk about these on the show. Oh, my God. All right, so 5% ABV. We got four flavors. Splashberry. Any guess at what that is? I don't know. Splash or pass. Citrus smash, watermelon, and mango. So a couple wild cards in there. But we're going to use this rating scale, things that you might find in Louisiana. So this is a, a one to five. Okay. Okay. Number one. So this is your lowest, your worst. The human remains in Lost Carcosa. It's a okay. true blood. Oh, no, 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 no. True detective. Mixed up my Louisiana trues there. True detective reference there. We have a, a nasty old po'boy sandwich is two. So it's specifically nasty? Because normally a po'boy sandwich is pretty good. Oh, no, but this is two on a five scale. This is a nasty po'boy sandwich, yeah. Three is a handful of Mardi Gras beads. So maybe you've seen some titty, maybe not. 
You can barter with them at least. Absolutely. Number four is part of the STF network. They're pretty cool. Like a four out of five. Yeah, but only part of them's in Louisiana. So right. Yeah. If all of them were, this would be our number one spot, a five out of five, but mm-hmm. only part of them are. So they're on our rating scale. And then, of course, five out of five is Fantasia from True Blood. Fantasia. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's, uh, that's a perfect five out of five. It, yeah, that is a perfect five out of five, isn't it? Now, the fun thing is we have koozies on all these, so I can't see which flavor's which. Mm-hmm. We're going to be pulling these at random. Uh-oh. I mean, we're going to know the flavor before we taste it, but the order, at least, is going to be random. So, picking up this one, a uh, fancy Dice Crisis koozie. Citrus Splash. Citrus Splash. All right. Wait, it's Splash or Smash? Splash. Oh, I have Smash on the agenda. It is Splash. So there definitely is a distinction between Splash Berry and Citrus Splash. Okay. It's the berry or the citrus. Yes. Now there's a, a lemon, looks like a grapefruit, and an orange on here. I always love when the citrus flavor is just called citrus. No yeah. more distinct than that. That means they haven't figured it out. Only good things can come from a seltzer named citrus. I mean, it's not great. It's nice and sour, I guess. I don't know, man. We have nosedived so far from that Seltz on the Beach pack with this already. Yeah. This is heartburn in a drink. I'll tell you what. Yeah, it's pretty it's gross. Nice and sour. Is it redeemable enough to get a nasty old po' boy sandwich? I think it is. I think it's you think so? Boy. It's not too much worse than like White Claw Lemon. Mm. It actually has hints of White Claw Lemon to me. It tastes pretty close to the White Claw Lemon. Lemon was on there. Uh I kind of feel like I should give it the human remains at Lost Carcosa, but I think I'll go a nasty old pull boy sandwich. It's still pretty bad. Two out of five. Yeah. Ugh. All right, let's pull the next one. This is the one I'm most excited for. Splashberry. Splashberry. All right, we got a, it looks like a strawberry, a raspberry, a, maybe a blueberry on that. Oh, yeah, that's a blueberry. All right. You want to kick this one off, Griff? Yeah, I'll kick it off. All right. Why not? And fittingly, this is in a Southern Tom Foolery Koozie. I'm just seeing if there's any Easter eggs on the can before I dive in. I'm not really seeing anything, which is a shame. I, I do love when they throw dumb shit on the can. Oh, I love that. I can't get enough. 10 out of 10 when you throw dumb shit on the can. Hmm. You know? I like that. Yeah. <laughs> it tastes like strawberry yogurt to me. Yes. It's like very close to the Yoplait strawberry yogurt, I think. You have these in your house. The zeros. Zero. It tastes like the berry zero. The the like black zero. the black yogurt. Like it's the the Oh the triple zero. T- yeah, triple zero. Yeah. It tastes yeah. like the berry triple zero. It almost does. exactly. That's uh, uh that's pretty good. Yeah. I'm I, not against this. I, I'm honestly gonna give it a Fantasia. I like it a lot. Wow, a Fantasia. Yeah. I think I'm gonna throw a part of the STF network on here. I think it's very close to being amazing. But I don't know if it quite cracks it for me, and I don't know that I have a really good way to put that into words. I think I just it's like it because it tastes like that yogurt. Yeah. So we got some wheel and woe going on here. Yeah. That one was really good. First one was really bad. Pretty bumpy road. Hmm. This next one is watermelon. God damn it. This is the one that we tried last week. <laughs> and crack this open here. Let's see with sober eyes and a, and a sober heart mm-hmm. how I feel about this one. <laughs> Shaking my head over here. I smell it. 
I think the body language we give each other during these is kind of the best part. It's a shame. That, yeah. <laughs> it's a shame the listeners can't be a part of that. It's very fun to do on our live shows because people can see us react. Oof. Well, I think you originally described this the best, Griffin. It tastes like a very specific part of the watermelon, doesn't it? Yeah, it's all rind, baby. Yeah, it is 100% rind. Uh, Not what you're looking for. No. Usually with watermelon, you want some kind of sweet. This literally, this is a mouthful of rind. Mm -hmm. And on that note, I... That's the human remains yeah, of Lost Carcosa. Lost Carcosa, for that sure. Was, that's, <laughs> that's the worst watermelon I've had. It's truly difficult to put into words how whack this is. I will say, as far as watermelon flavors go, this tastes like a pretty natural watermelon flavor. It like, tastes pretty natural. You, it's if just you like, eat like the rind of a watermelon, that's what it tastes like. It's like if you were going to have chicken flavored something mm-hmm. and they gave you like chicken foot. Yeah. Like, why would you give me the least desirable piece of this? Exactly. Just give me the middle of the watermelon, please. The only thing worse they could have done is throw seeds in this. Yeah, we haven't gotten to the bottom yet. I guess you're right. Okay, finally, we know what this one must be. It's mango. I'm going to say something crazy. Yeah, go for it. I'm getting like 20%. Yeah, I think you're going to think I'm crazy for this. I'm getting like 20% Bud Light Peppermint Patty Seltzer in here. Yeah. There's like a weird chocolate minty thing in here. There's a weird... um, and I think it's part of the Bud Light Peppermint Patty, too, but it's a mm-hmm. weird artificial sweetener that's in there that's yeah. that's giving it that really strange... It's not even an aftertaste because it's like kind of part of the forward part of the flavor. Yeah. Because I, I normally I would say like, oh, this has a really bad aftertaste, but it doesn't. It's just kind of there with the mango, this weird artificial flavor. And I agree with you. It's got like a... Take another sip of that. I took a second sip. And when I was thinking about the Bud Light thing, that's all I could think about. I barely got any fruit from there. You know what's really funny? Mm-hmm. That's the smell of it to me. And it shouldn't smell like that. <laughs> that's so weird. I don't think you're crazy at all. I taste that for sure. And okay. How do I rate that? <laughs> like I don't know, because like I don't hate it. It's just not really mango. I'm so confused. Or it's like, again, maybe it's like a weird derivative of like, Hey, the mango we're used to having is super artificial mango, and that's maybe more of a natural, but like not very ripe mango. Do mangoes have rinds? Um, maybe it's mango rind. Mangoes have pits. Hmm. It honestly, to me, I can taste the mango, but it tastes like a very underripe mango. Sure. So it's like when you get fucking super hard mango that's like green. Hmm. That's what it tastes like. A rousing endorsement. Yeah, this one's tough. Caught in the right mood, I might be fired up enough to excuse this from rating because I don't know what they're going for. But I'm going to give this a nasty old po' boy sandwich. Two out of five. I think this is an interesting time capsule of a strange seltzer. I don't know that I want it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's very specifically something I'm not looking for. It's so weird. I got to give it a handful of Mardi Gras beads. Wow. I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. And I don't even really dislike it. I just, I'm perplexed by it. But I mean, sometimes that's what you want. Sometimes you want a little, uh, sometimes you want a little intrigue in your seltzer game. That's true. The market's flooded these days. If they didn't put a label on that, I, it would have been very hard pressed to call that manga. I don't think I would have. Wow. Okay. I mean, a perplexing pack across the board. Generally, besides the watermelon, I was a little lower on this one than you were. But I mean, this was a weird one. Yeah. Based on the watermelon that we had last week, I thought this was going to be uh, zero for four, really horrible pack. 
there's some redeemable stuff in here. Yeah, I can't believe that Splashberry was as good as it is. The Splashberry was gangster. It was so good. Yeah. So my final question here, knowing that this is a little all over the board, Griffin, would you make this Louisiana purchase again? I don't think so, man. We've done so many packs at this point, mm -hmm. and I just... I can't justify this. Even even with some of the mediocre packs that we've had, some of them are across the board mediocre. And yeah. that's, you know, that's deep. Like, if, if you got me on threes across the board, I think I would rather have that than a pack that I'm like, oh, cool. I drank the three that I like out of this 12 pack, and now I have to wade through dog shit. That's always difficult when there's one or two stinkers in there. And I think that's the case that we have today. Yeah. So I don't think I would make the Louisiana purchase again. Now, if they started selling the Splashberry by itself, I'd probably buy a four-pack of the Splashberry or something. I'd buy a 12-pack of that. That was good. Yeah. yeah, it was really good. Hell, keep the mango in there for as whack as it is. So about the watermelon, and I could be tempted to make that Louisiana purchase. Yeah, really, I think the watermelon is what's torpedoing this. Because, again, the citrus to me tastes like lemon white claw. So mm -hmm. from that perspective, lemon white claw is not the strongest flavor in the, its own pack either but it's not lime white claw it's not no. something like i actively dislike it's just like okay this is a stepping stone to other things deeper in the pack mm -hmm. so i'm okay with it it's just the watermelon rind and the that mango's really got to catch you by the right mood yeah I'll tell you what i drank that mango a week ago i would have some words with abita <laughs> i was in a state a week ago but anyway i guess now we need to divide these up i think it's pretty safe to say and whoever's getting the splash berry needs to jump on the watermelon grenade. That I think that's I absolutely agree with that. That is absolutely completely undebatable. <laughs> so I guess how much do you want that splash berry? I want the splash berry. Alright, well then enjoy your watermelon. Uh. And here's the splash berry. Ooh. Do I want to do the mango first or do I want to do the citrus? Dude, I love this splash berry though. I can't believe they perfectly captured a, a container of yogurt. In a seltzer. Yeah. It's yogurt. It's fucking yogurt. It it's tastes like good. yogurt. It's real good. All right, Griffin. Well, we have tasted and ranked our seltzers. Let's talk about the show for a little bit, okay? Yeah, man. Okay. So what's going on here? We're going to go ahead and do a very quick recap of the last few episodes. So last time we got together and did this, we covered up through episode 191. Today, we're going to focus on episodes 192 through 195. We're going to spend the vast majority of this discussion on the combat in the creatures of 195. We're kind of going to do a pseudo My Favorite Monster with some stuff in there, but I don't think it's going to be quite fully fleshed out to be its own segment. Let's get to work here. So, Griff, I've got some notes in here on the last couple episodes. I'm just going to start flying through them, and when you want to interject with maybe some changes to combats or cool ways that the book differs from what we ended up doing or... Had we done this, that would have happened. Feel free. I don't have any specific call-outs for you today. Sure. Okay? So 192. What happens here? So the party is currently above ground. We enter the Nobleman's Stitch, which is very, very busy. We've got some workers that look dominated. When we try and talk to them, they're repetitive. We have a man lifting from his back, not his legs. And Shala and Turner are notably both absent when we ask after them. We try and stealth around a little bit, explore this place, find some clues maybe, but end up not learning too much and need to sneak slash lie our way out of the place when this alarm goes off with a fantastic dressing room scene where we all have to uh, scoot out one after the other. 
Very fun. Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious to people that aren't dominated. Yeah. But we return to the vampires in the sewers and learn that Kiza has slipped out and hasn't returned. That pretty much wraps up 192. Very fun episode. And we got 193. We are checking out Turner's underground shop where we discover the documents that he presented. These are the vampire bounties are actually forgeries done in his own hand. They're very convincing forgeries, but they are forgeries nonetheless. We end up going across this stream or underground river to check on the vampire spawn we'd been led to earlier. And we found eight of them. They're all in some sort of drugged out state. This looks like a drug den. And there are two full vampires there who are dealing them the drugs. Combat ensues after Matumbe sees them slipping them the drugs. And we basically defeat all of them except one full vampire who escapes. And we recover a sample of this elixir. Real war on drugs episode. Absolutely. Any deviations or anything with this fight here, Griffin? Uh, honestly, no. Uh, yeah. And I think it was because in the book included eight vampire spawns, so I didn't tweak them at all. I was just kind of thinking, okay, this will be a fun one for you guys to kind of steamroll. Yeah, it was. I got a Matumbe book destruction off right away. That was great. I think that, that changed the, the way that combat maybe would have gone because... The full vampires are, are decently strong. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I don't think the spawn were real pushovers either, especially when you have eight of them. Yeah, you get a lot of flanking opportunity and that kind of stuff. Exactly. So we take this elixir sample to Archminos, the imprisoned vampire who's been accused of being bad. Being the murderer. He says that it's an addictive substance called blood brew elixir. He says that its properties are that it breaks spawn free of the creator's control for one hour, and it's very highly addictive to vampires. But there are some stipulations here. You would need a large lab and lots of blood to test and make this. He hints after some questioning that maybe the Countess Calafazo is in some way related because she does have a lab, but that's all hearsay. We don't know whether that's true or not. That pretty much wraps up episode 193. In 194... We finally get to our ambush episode in Reclamation Park with Danny Absalom, where a beggar approaches and sits down on a bench next to Danny Absalom, posing as his wife. Danny Absalom is immediately staked and defeated in this <laughs> combat, where four more vampires appear. A few of us were tree-shaped. We had Quinley and Air Bear hiding in the bushes, who were spotted immediately. Actually, I think it's just Quinley. I think Air Bear was probably successful. And this fight gets pretty brutal pretty fast. Yeah. Quinley is actually killed. Freya saves him with her, I think it's Breath of Life, correct? Yes, she that is spell? Breath of Life. And as we defeat these vampires, the slow retreating gas drifts out through Kalathos. Because it's slow, we can kind of heal and walk with it and eventually arrive at the Nobleman's Stitch. This was a tough combat. Griffin, it just seemed like four vampires. Is this out of the book as well, like straight up or? <laughs> no. Okay. Part of it is. Three of the vampires are. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the vampires is not who they are in the book. And you guys kind of felt the brunt of that, you know, a high level caster fighting you who was able to get away very quickly, who was able to halt undead Danny Absalom. Mm -hmm. Danny had something like a 40% chance of saving, even though he was a level 10 bard himself 
So that's why you get stake there, because Halt Undead makes you basically like hold person. Yeah. Helpless and then staked <laughs> makes your body useless until you're unstaked and doesn't destroy a vampire, but causes them to go back to their coffin when they're unstaked. So you guys lost that help, which he, he certainly would have been helpful for this combat. Was he part of this combat? Was he written into it? Yeah. No. No. I made him. I made his stat block. Yeah, I wasn't sure if this was something that the book was setting us up to do to do this ambush and they presented some NPC that you reskinned or because obviously Danny Absalom, that name is not in the book. Yes. No, I but, I gave you guys a stronger ally to help mitigate a stronger enemy. Unfortunately, you know, failed to save, got staked, but it did waste one of the beggars turns so that is helpful i guess yeah ultimately he didn't really swing the battle but he did focus fire the big strong guy away from us which we're grateful and so begins my streak of killing someone every combat oh boy we'll see how long that goes well it lasts at least through the next combat <laughs> yep certainly does which is in 195 now this is the one that i want to focus on a little bit more because this one was who baby this was a wild one this is the warehouse fight. So we show up the nobleman's stitch and debate for a while how we want to enter this building. And we know there's a back door. We know there's a main entrance. We know there's a warehouse door. Hadn't been in the warehouse yet and thought that might be a good place to start. They might not expect us to come in. That way. So we enter the warehouse. Immediately, we are beset upon by eight ghouls. CR1 ghouls. Yes. Can't overstate that. <laughs> no, you can't. No, you can't. And we were cleaning them up. Were you? For a moment. <laughs> For a brief second. For a brief second, we were cleaning them up. And then this really turned into a situation where we really should have cleaned them up faster. I feel like you get into these combats where you have these little piddly ass minions and you want to focus fire on the big bad guys in there so much that you ignore them. <laughs> And they just constantly set up flanking opportunities. They're constantly chipping away at you when you really should just take one round and get rid of them. But this was tough. Mutumbe, I mean, elephant in the room, yes, was paralyzed by a ghoul immediately. <laughs> um, was paralyzed by a CR1 ghoul. Absolutely I absurd. That. I was so mad. And this just began a streak of hold persons or paralyzed or what have you. Haley didn't act in this combat until like hour two. Yeah, it was like round six that she got to go. Absolutely pummelingly brutal because we're not only fighting eight ghouls, we're fighting these three Nabasu demons who in turn end up summoning three Bao Bao demons. Rough times. I mean, that's a lot of demons on top of eight ghouls. Yeah. So we have hold persons that are successful, as I mentioned on Rune. Also successful on Quinley, which ends up leading to his second death of the hour. <laughs> death by CR1 ghoul. Yes. Receiving a coup de gras. We had a couple, I don't want to say terrain things. I guess battlefield control is maybe the best yeah, way so, to put this. So stuff like silence and yep. stuff like deeper darkness really worked against you guys, especially Freya, I think, because the room having silence... Obviously doesn't extend up to the rafters in a perfect circle. And even if it did, the Nubasu demons are using supernatural and spell-like abilities which don't have verbal components. So they can still cast them. Mm -hmm. 
even in silence, but that really kept Freya from casting until she evacuated the premises. Truly, yeah, if she didn't leave, her only option is use her weapons, which, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. She's not meant to do. Right. Or channel, which, I mean, is great, legitimately. However, doesn't stop coup de grace. Doesn't stop coup de grace, and she has a limited amount of those per day. We got to be careful with them. So this becomes a really brutal fight. I think there was a lingering piece of we're going to continue into the nobleman's stitch and like catch these guys tonight. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so there was a there was definitely for the first couple rounds a balancing act of like we shouldn't blow all of our abilities. And then it started to get really bad. It's so tough when you're in a situation like that to know whether or not to pull the trigger on the big stuff. Yeah, I think you're bouncing around that right now. Yeah, we were ready to keep going. Obviously, this is a big building that we've already explored. There's a map to it. I think as players, we know there's going to be at least one encounter in here. Mm -hmm. So definitely more. And there's a basement we haven't even explored yet. So we knew we had a lot to go. There could be some sort of big bad in here. So we didn't want to blow all our stuff right away. Right. Which maybe we should have. I think I would have made the same decisions that I did playing the combat again but that's tough it's certainly tough to know too like mm-hmm. it's tough to know that i mean no offense but like how how the hell can you prepare for getting crit by a cr1 ghoul and then rolling in that one against the paralysis like it's very very low odds that happened right it's a five percent chance times a five percent chance i mean even the fact that rune failed six consecutive rounds of hold person mm-hmm. the save was not that high Haley could not roll above an eight Yeah. Like six tries. She had a 50% chance of breaking out of that, I believe. She could have done it on a 10. And she didn't do that for six rounds. I think there is an alternate history to this episode where obviously the Matumbe thing doesn't happen. The rune thing doesn't happen. And we kind of power through this and move in through the building. Yeah. Like we could have cleaned up the rest of the ghouls in less than a round. We could have had Rune focus fire down these flying demons. I think this is a very doable encounter. It just stacked up against us really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So you want to talk about the stat blocks of some of the demons sure, that yeah. we talked about a little bit here? Yeah, so an Abasu demon on its own is a CR-8. It's a medium creature, as you guys realized. It's only got a 22 AC. It's got around 100 hit points. It's got DR-10, cold iron, or good, and it's immune to death effects, electricity, paralysis, and poison. It resists acid, cold, and fire, and has 19 spell resistance. It's got a 60-foot fly speed, so pretty decent fly. Its spell-like abilities, I think, are, are what was the big stumbling block for you guys this fight. It's got deeper darkness at will, greater teleport at will, telekinesis at will, Three times per day, it can cast Enervation, which kept peppering you guys until Freya ended that problem. I thought I was going to kill one of you with negative levels. I forgot to even put that in my notes. Yeah, Yeah, that got crazy. It's got Silence three times per day, which you saw Vampiric Touch three times per day. And then each of these once per day has Mass Hold Person, which is what each of them used one time. Yes, we experienced three times in a row, yes. Yes. Regenerate and then summon 1d4 Babaos. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also a 30% chance it summons another Nabasu. I didn't roll that. 
Let's not and say we did. <laughs> I only used one of the summons. I got three on one of the babaos, and I was like, okay, this is already going poorly. <laughs> Could I introduce up to eight more babaos in here? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> up to eight more babaos, you say? So the reason the ghouls were there is because it's got a death-stealing gaze. So it's a free action once per day per growth point, which these guys had. It's a minimum of once per day. Uh, they only had it once per day. Mm-hmm. A Nibasu can activate its death-stealing gaze for a full round. All living creatures within 30 feet must succeed on a DC 18 fortitude save or gain a negative level. A humanoid slain in this manner immediately transforms into a ghoul under the Nabasu's control. So what does the book say at this point? Because usually they'll give some sort of backstory or explanation that you never can really quite put into a game naturally. So were these like all the warehouse workers that these Nabasus just nuked or are they just kind of sitting in here and as people wander in from the shop or something one after one they pick them off over the span of three weeks or whatever yeah so the the warehouse workers are like safe Uh, Mm -hmm. these are under the control of the owner of the shop yep so the dominated people are safe but yeah as like customers maybe get brought back to the back room Mm -hmm. uh an Abbasu will blast them. Exactly, yeah. And and they have, like, some free reign, so they might be grabbing people off the street, too. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it says, like, the ghouls kind of, like, rise up from behind the stacks and shit, which I kind of had them do. And then it's got consume life. So uh, when an Abbasu creates a ghoul with his gaze attack, it gains a growth point, so that allows it to do its death-stealing gaze again. It also it gains a bonus equal to growth point total on attack rolls, CMB rolls, saving throws, caster level checks, and skill checks. Its maximum hit points increased by 10 for each growth point, and its caster level for its spell-like abilities increases by 1. For every 2 growth points, its natural armor bonus, spell resistance, and CR increase by 1. Every time it gains a growth point, it makes a DC 30 caster level check. Success indicate it matures, meaning it gains both the advanced and the giant template. Ooh. And plane shifts to the abyss in a burst of smoke. They can have a maximum of 20 growth points, and it automatically matures if it reaches 20 growth points and has not already matured. So the strategy for these creatures essentially is to create ghouls. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, <laughs> you could argue here that these guys should have some growth points because there's eight ghouls in this room. In the book, Paizo didn't give them additional growth points, so I didn't. I feel like that would have been a little unfair okay with that. to give each of them like <laughs> three growth points or whatever. However... With that enervation, what I was basically leading to was trying to get you enough negative levels that I could then activate my death-stealing gaze and turn you into a ghoul. Oh, yeah. So that was the tactic there and why I was kind of nuking you guys with enervation. The babaos are CR6. So (laughs) I feel like a babao is a classic monster because I feel like I've seen one of these in every campaign ever. Yeah, they're in a lot. They're a very common demon, Mm -hmm. and they're supposed to look like a horned human skeleton with slimy goop on them, but they're also medium. They have a 19 AC. They have protective slime, which didn't really come into play because you guys didn't attack them with natural weapons, but they have DR 10, cold iron are good, same immunities and resistances, and spell resistance 17 as the Nabasu. They have a constant C invisibility at will. They can cast darkness, dispel magic, and greater teleport. And once per day, they can also summon. However, these were summoned. A summoned creature cannot summon, mm-hmm. so it can't use its summon ability. Really, the only interesting thing about them is that protective slime, which does acid damage if you don't succeed a reflex save after you attack them with a natural attack. 
It can fuck up your melee weapon, but the damage wouldn't penetrate any of your hardness at this level with the bonuses your weapons have. Mm -hmm. So the real danger of these things is just they can hit pretty well. They're attacking at like a plus 12 or 14. Yeah, plus 12. And they have a long spear, so they can attack at reach. That's about it. They're kind of just fodder for you guys. If I really wanted to be mean, I could have had them all dispelling magic on your buffs and stuff. Yeah. But I didn't really think they were quite intelligent enough to see what you had on you and you didn't cast a ton of spells during the combat i guess like freya was kind of yeah. gimped because they don't even have they don't have a bonus to spellcraft so they wouldn't even be able to tell what spells are, are going on mm. so i feel like that dispel magic is a little bit wasted unless you like cast a spell on them like to hamper them in some way yeah all right well appreciate you sharon so for me i did a little homework on the babao I took a look around for some references to Nabasu demons. These seem like a creature that was made for TTRPG. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't find anything on Nabasus either. I couldn't find anything on them. But there is some interesting stuff for Babao. So let me start from another place here. As far as Babao's and role-playing go, this appears to be one of the original monsters in D&D. This is an old school one. Appears to have a, shown up in just about every edition of the game. What this creature actually is, it's got some inspiration from IRL lore, of course. Let me uh, let me talk a minute about the Boogeyman. So the Boogeyman, some kind of boogin, yeah, is a mythic figure who's used to frighten children into good behavior by adults. Sometimes used as a personification of the devil or terror itself. It's generally a catch-all term between many cultures of the world. In countries of Central and Eastern Mediterranean. Children who misbehave are threatened with a creature known as a bow bow or bow bow or bow bow bav 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 bav. There are many different spellings. They all are kind of about the same. And essentially, this is that region's analog for the boogeyman. In Italy specifically, he's portrayed as a tall man wearing a heavy black coat with a black hood or hat, which hides his face. And anecdotally, sometimes parents will knock loudly under the table, pretending that someone is knocking at the door. Say something like, here comes the bow bow. He must know that there's a child here who doesn't want to drink his soup. Drink his soup? Yeah, that's a direct quote from Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, I don't know what the deal's out is. You don't want to drink your soup? Except more Italian, but yes. You don't want to drink your soup? It is also featured in a widespread nursery rhyme in Italy, which translates in English to lullaby lola o. Who do I give this child to? I will give him to the boogeyman. He's going to keep <laughs> him for a full year. What? Uh, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, I imagine you it here first, kids. You better eat your you better drink your pizza. So I imagine that rhymes in Italian. But here's the interesting thing. This version of the boogeyman is not supposed to eat or harm the children, but instead takes them away to a mysterious or frightening place. So he's an intimidating figure. And some to be kind of weirded out for, but he's not when compared to some of the other analogs of the boogeyman around the world. Somewhere bad. Yeah, he's he's probably not the worst one out there. You he's know, like the Riverman. He sure, takes you to a bad place. Sure, he's not the bad guy. I also found another reference that was not quite from this area to a bow bow. This is a Lithuanian folklore legend. And the only reason I bring it up is because it's etymologically close. Baubas, B-A-U-B-A-S, an evil spirit with long, lean arms, wrinkly fingers, and red eyes. He harasses people, tears their hair, or stifles them. A misbehaving child could be told by the parents, behave or Baubas, 
will come and get you. He's often described as a black or dark creature living under the carpet or in some dark spot of the house. That's pretty standard for a boogeyman legend. I got kind of curious about boogeyman legends from around the world because as I was reading this, that just was the rabbit hole that I fell into. And I kind of want to highlight a couple other ones that I think are really interesting. So I'm going to butcher some pronunciation. You've probably heard me do that already, but I'm going to do my best, except for this one because I love it. El Hombre del Sacco. <laughs> El Hombre del Sacco. Absolutely <laughs> love that. That's the sack, man. Arrivederci. <laughs> yep. So in Latin American countries, their version of the boogeyman is a man with a sack on his back who carries away misbehaving children. Very similar to the Babao, obviously, except he got that sack. Yeah. We have in certain circles. I'm called the sack, man. Specifically, what circles? Have you ever been to the YMCA? Fair enough. So we also have El Coco. This is the Spanish-speaking country's version. And this is probably my favorite fact on my entire agenda. Coconuts are called coconuts because they have a hairy brown face, quote-unquote, made up by natural indentations on the coconut, reminding folks who found them of the hairy, shapeless description of El Coco, Coco Nut. That's wild that a coconut would be named after like a folklore legend. Well, I think it's the way that the folklore legend was described. And then when what I imagine were Spanish conquistadors coming over to the new world, they saw coconuts and like, wow, it looks like El Coco, coconut. But imagine it the other way where it's like, oh, boogie nuts. Well, hold on. I like that. You know that's gold. <laughs> Boogie nuts. I wonder if they contain milk. They they must. <laughs> they must. I, yeah, Boogie nuts. That's that's funny. I like that. All right. There's a similarly named creature that exists in the folklore of Mexican Americans called El Cucuy, C U C U Y. Though the description is a childlike monster with glowing red eyes who fills the same role. That's that, the creepiest one so far. I is that just like the little kid version of Coco, Coco Cucuy? Yes, but I think much scarier. Well, scarier because yeah. it's a yeah, it's a scary little kid monster. I don't like that. I know you don't like it, but I'm just saying, like, the names are so similar. Well, let me tell it's you like about Coco another Jr. similar name. Yeah. Here comes another one. Akuka. This is a Brazilian version portrayed as an old alligator humanoid woman with a sack who makes disobedient children into soup or soaps if they refuse to sleep. That's like if Nana Opa was a scaly. Yeah, if Nana Opa was a lizard folk. Yeah, that's pretty good. There's a pretty persistent sack theme coming through all of these. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Thematically, there's a lot of sacks in, the, in all these boogeyman legends. Hmm, I wonder what's going on there. It's a real sack of Troy moment. <laughs> yeah. And finally, we have the Bootseman. Germanic folklore has dozens of boogeymen because they don't want to be outdone. <laughs> but this one stands out in particular because it's etymologically close to boogeyman, bootsyman. This creature... It's a bootsy nut. Yeah, I like that too. Is often described as a gnome or demon that behaves like everybody else. <laughs> Literally. And um, probably also has a large sack. Yeah, he's got to have the sack. Maybe sack nuts. You would think so. So that was my kind of download on about not a ton on them themselves. But when I fell down this rabbit hole, I found it really, really interesting. Did and you when you were looking all of this up, did you get any indication on how these 
different. I mean, they're all so similar, like how they all came about. Well, let's back up for a second. I think anybody who studies culture is probably going to call my bullshit on this. But in my mind, I think it makes sense that you have legends from the way, way, way past, like your Lamashtus, mm -hmm. spirits that are made to frighten people out of certain behaviors. And there must have been some sort of ancient culture that had a boogeyman equivalent. And as that culture dissolved into the disparate cultures that make up all of the cultures in the world, those legends changed because of oral tradition and the way that they were depicted. And so I imagine that everything is a little similar because they probably all tie back to one or two specific roots. I don't think this is a situation. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but I don't think this is a situation like the pyramids where everyone was just building pyramids at the same time and no one can explain why they're similar. Yeah. I think like a sky God situation where it's like every yeah. culture ever has had a sky God. I think this is just one of those things where there are so many similarities to me. So many angry parents. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I think I like, Look at some of the geographies that we're talking about. Like we had a Spanish legend that ends up etymologically very similar to some to the uh, stuff in Mexico, to like yeah. the stuff in Mexico and stuff. And if you just look like where colonialization happened, okay, you can draw real easy yeah. parallels there. So that's kind of what I think. Yeah, that's my it's guess. It's just interesting that it's like also German and also. Mm -hmm. You know, Brazilian makes sense with, yeah. with that same kind of logic. But the other thing, too, is that every culture has parents that try to scare their kids into good behavior with threats that are completely empty. Like, so one of the things that I didn't put on this list, another iteration of the quote-unquote boogeyman is Baba Yaga. Yeah. Who is very, very, very different from everybody else that I mentioned on this list, but still falls in this umbrella. Yeah, I mean, and there's a ton of legends as well to dissuade other behavior. Mm -hmm. It's like the fairies in the forest are supposed to keep you from wandering around in the forest. Yeah. Aren't people interesting? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty neat. I love this kind of stuff. I'm not well learned on it, but every time I read about it, I get really sucked into it. It's cool. I wonder the relationship between the Bao Bao demon and uh, children. Hmm. They weren't summoned with a sack. I'll tell you that. There's no sack on their stat block. Hmm. That was the real confusing part for me. I think they'd at least be proficient with net. And that's not one of the things they can summon? They can't summon a sack? <laughs> that would be great. Uh, it says here, summon 1d3 sacks. When am I going to use this? <laughs> or you can, as a lesser summon, summon 16 coconuts? So summon creatures can't summon other summon creatures, but there's an exception here that this creature, if summoned, can summon coconuts and sacks. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? These guys are wild. Wild. All right, Griffin. Well, you want to do some listener questions? We got some real fun ones today. Sure. Okay. This one comes from Sir Newt. And I'm honestly kind of surprised we haven't had this before. Honestly, maybe we haven't. I just forgot. But he asks, if you could pick any one superpower, what would it be? So are we putting any limitations on this? Because there's certainly some, I would call them like OP upper echelon powers that I feel like encompass a lot of other powers. I think police yourself don't be boring with the question if your answer is like i want to have the power of god that's not interesting right but that's a power but, like yeah like that, dr manhattan's power sure. is molecular manipulation which mm -hmm. essentially makes him a god yeah which is i mean is dope but that's like dope. i didn't think he had to really go through that much to get that he just thought because caught in like a matter manipulator or whatever yes and then 
hung brain for the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a choice. That is a choice because you can manipulate that too. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's got matter manipulation. He can manipulate that situation. And he He's beyond it. He's beyond our comprehension. <laughs> yeah, he is beyond our comprehension. That's why he moved to Mars. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so he can hang brain without anybody judging him. Uh, well, I really love the idea of Nightcrawler's power. I always have. I think teleportation is such a cool, just millions of uses power that I've always gravitated towards. It. I even like the limitations that Nightcrawler specifically has in regards to like almost like a Pathfinder limitation, right? Like with teleport, mm-hmm. like, you know, he has to at least like attempt to visualize something or he could get like caught in a wall or yeah. that kind of stuff. But he can like take his power beyond and like actually teleport into an area he hasn't seen. There's just risk there. I think that's mm-hmm. interesting to play around with. But uh, I really like that interpretation of teleportation. Yeah. So I think I think that's pretty top of my list. I think it just modern day without other superpowers. Mm-hmm. I mean, what am I going to use? Like the healing factor. If there's not supervillains to fight, right? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not really going to. I mean, I guess like I'll be a really healthy dude. But like there's join the Peace Corps or something. Yeah, but like, like teleportation. If you don't do that, teleportation yeah. has so many uses outside of combat that I think it would be cool. If you don't want to make the world a better place, that power is squandered. <laughs> but right. but teleportation you could still have fun with. Teleportation for me is very, very close second to what I'm going to pick. And honestly, if you catch me in the right mood, it might be my number one. But I would love to have shapeshifter powers yeah. and maybe not necessarily if we if we want to limit it a little bit, like we've talked about, like, I don't know that I need to shapeshift into different types of animals as cool as that would be. But I love the thought of shapeshifting into other people or like changing my appearance on a whim. So like Mystique. Yes. I Yeah, sure. If we want to keep it in the X-Men thing, I would love to be Mystique. I think that's but so you, much fun. Would you take the gnarly blue uh, appearance? 100%. Gnarly? Yeah, yeah. I do it in a heartbeat. Okay. Because you don't have to walk around blue. She just does it because she is proud of being a mutant. And I probably got that fact wrong. I'm going to get roasted by Corey. Yeah, but I think I'm right. But I, I, being a mutant. I really think that being a shapeshifter is really cool. It's always a fun thing when it shows up in movies. And I think there would be like a really fun mystique to like walking around in somebody's skin and seeing like how the world reacts to you I think in some good ways and some bad ways. That's kind of why I love role playing games, because I get to get outside of my own body and imagine that I'm something else. If I could actually do that, that would be cool as hell. I think it's very interesting that we both selected powers that are like, I won't say like common, but are very doable in like the Pathfinder D and D world, right? Like, teleport's an expensive spell. Uh, it's you gotta available. be pretty pretty trained, but yeah, it's it's there. Dimension yeah. door, level four spell, yeah. essentially does what I'm saying. I mean, in D and D at least, you could be a changeling and have what you're talking about. There's an entire race dedicated to it. So. Yeah. Like the world is set up in a way to accept those powers more so than something like a Incredible Hulk situation. It's a lot harder to port that into a fantasy setting where it's like, hey, this guy is strong enough to like level a city by running through it. Yeah. Like that's not really a power you get until the upper echelon, if ever, of D&D. Indeed. 
All right. Well, I love that question. I love bringing that question up in casual conversation because I think it's really fun to talk about and hear what other people find useful or would like to aspire to. Let's get to the next one here. This one comes from Eric. We are going to all see at PaisoCon when over 500 people show up to our meetup. Eric yeah, asks, to the con, to the meetup. Eric asks, is there enough variety in the area for Poseidon's Bounty spinoff, Hot Chicken Summer? Well, first of all, I mean, Eric, great name. Great name, Hot Chicken Summer. I mean, knocked it Hot out of the park summer. right there. I mean, I think so. we're not going to do this. I have no interest in doing this. I do. I think it would probably be better taste-wise than uh, 100%. Size value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, this would be kind of a treat, but I don't want to eat two and a I half. I don't want to eat with you guys in the game room. I'm, I'm over yeah. it. <laughs> it gets gross in here. Two and a half spicy sandwiches, especially in the summer. Yeah. This game room gets so nasty in the summer when we are recording because we have to turn off the AC. And if I need to introduce like spicy food into that, that's going to be a nightmare. That's going to produce some of the worst Zone of Truth content out there. And the bar is pretty low. <laughs> the bar is low. Uh, but I do think there is certainly enough variety to do it. Yeah. I mean, a, I mean, everybody did a hot chicken sandwich. You got Popeyes. You got Arby's. You got, uh, yeah. you got Wendy's. They're off the list, Steve. They're off the list. I think there's... I, you, I might, think you might have to shop around every, a little bit, but I think you could do it. I think yeah. literally every fast food establishment at this point has attempted a hot chicken sandwich. Was there a White Castle one? Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, if you're if you're just going by like breaded chicken sandwich, like they have a chicken waffle slider. Yeah, and I knew that, but I didn't. I can't remember if that was spicy or not. I know they had spicy chicken rings, so you can definitely get a spicy chicken ring slider. Oh god! Because they do all their chicken rings as sliders if you want them. What a what a wild deal! What a shape for chicken <laughs> rings. I've got some thoughts on that. What 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 are we? Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> devouring rings referencing another podcast here i think when the doughboys reviewed white castle i think nick weiger put it best when he lamented on what an insult it was to the living being that was a chicken that it got turned into a chicken ring (laughs) (laughs) it's so true though what an insult it's such an artificial shape from a bird did i ever tell you the first time i ever had white castle i didn't get sliders i got chicken rings you're out of your mind i am out i didn't i didn't know what to expect and i was kind of like well i want chicken nuggets what do they have chicken rings fucking buffalo not sauce but dusted they had at the time they were doing like flavored chicken rings and they had like three versions of just powder they covered them in that Oof. Buffalo's a weird one to do in a dust because so much of the buffalo sauce is dependent on the fact that there's like that it's a sauce. There's like yeah. vinegar and shit in it. Yeah, I mean it's just a it's it's certainly artificial a, it's dust. certainly a marvel of food science. They take the essence of the buffalo sauce and powder it down. Oh yeah, it's a modern marvel to be sure. It's a, uh, entirely but, synthetic. It's yeah. not it's not like vinegar, cayenne, and butter and Worcestershire sauce. Rousing applause for White Castle at their innovation food science. <laughs> Let's move on to this third question. I think you're really going to like it. This comes from Jason, and he's, he qualifies that this is for a future Poseidon's bounty. Uh-uh-uh, Jason, we make up the rules. We're doing it right now. He says, flip through a bestiary and pick a random entry to ask the question posed by this book. And then he copies in a link to Twitter, a post about a book which will take you to a link on Amazon. Griffin, do you know what book that he's referencing here? Mm-mm. 
I clicked on this link. Okay. The book is Does It Fart? Does It Fart? <laughs> and it's apparently looking at the animals in the animal kingdom and saying whether or not it farts. Positing whether they fart? Yeah. So, uh, you want to do me a favor? Did you want me to uh, grab a bestiary? Grab a bestiary, <laughs> buddy. Yeah. Let's do it. Now, TBD, whether or not this becomes a recurring segment on the show. Do it fart, though. This seems like it's got full segment potential. Do so you just want me to pop on a one? Or? Yep. And we are in bestiary two from Pathfinder second edition. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Uh, Shadow Drake. Ooh. Creature two. Now, a Drake, I would say 100% yes. So let's let's but get some of the flavor drake. of a shadow drake. Shadow drakes are typically among the smallest and least powerful of their species. Most stand as tall and long as house cats and have charcoal-colored scales and membranous wings, just translucent enough to pass for shadows. Attracted to shiny materials, they employ deception teamwork and even rudimentary traps to create opportunities to make off with ill-gotten gains. Shadow drakes have a particular fascination and admiration for umbral dragons, a notable exception to the norm for drakes and dragons. What's the creature type on this? Is this actually made so, up of shadow? So the creature tags are uh, chaotic evil, All right. tiny, All right. dragon, mm-hmm. shadow. Oh, so maybe made up of shadow. So it certainly from the art looks to at least have like an aura of shadow around it. Interesting. I would say there may be shadow drakes out there that are pure fart. <laughs> but but does I mean, it look, fart? Look at the art. Just look at the art and yeah. tell me I'm wrong. No, you're. Abs- I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You have a couple buffalo chicken sliders. Uh, shadow drakes sliding out. Shadow drakes coming look out. out. Yeah, look house cat sized. House cat sized shadow drake. Yeah. Out. So I will say it's immune to paralyzed and sleep like dragons. It's got weakness fire. There's nothing incorporeal about this son bitch, and so I mm. I think it does. I think it farts on its own as well. Yeah. Okay, I do think so. I would also like to say, if it's weak to fire, you can light a fart on fire. You're absolutely further, right. It is a fart. Further. Further, my point. Amazing. All right, I think that answers that question. Yeah. And that wraps up our questions for the day. This is usually where we do our wrap-up and housekeeping. We already talked about our PaisoCon meetup, so make sure you catch us there. I'm going to continue plugging that right now that I am one of the guest stars on the STF Twitch channel for their twin heists season of STF and Friends. As of this recording, we've already done the first episode. If you missed it, you can catch it on YouTube. I know we had the crew watching me play a mechanical spider, which was so much fun. A little sassy for A little sassy. And a lot of people that listened to our show came out. I really appreciate you coming and checking it out. It was so much fun. I can't wait to do parts two, three, and four. So if you haven't caught those first installments, check them out on their YouTube page and then watch along with us. This is so much fun. We do these bi-weekly on Mondays, GM'd by Heath, basically a first time GM. I think he's doing a great job rolling with the punches. He's a lot of fun to play with. So yeah, just don't ask him about, um, about any sort of, uh, sundering. Oh my God. I knew, I knew you were going to say something. I knew <laughs> it was not coming. his fault. Those, those rules. First yeah. of all, fuck him in first edition. Double fucking in Starfinder because you almost never get a sunder off in Starfinder because of the combat maneuver rules in general. Yeah. I couldn't believe that, first of all. That was wild, but yeah, lots of fun. Come check it out. And that's really the only thing I have to plug right now. I don't know that we have anything else really going on. This comes out before episode 200. Yeah. So get hyped for that. 
We've been downplaying that a lot, but it's going to be fucking so much fun. Really cool. That's probably about it, right, Griffin? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Well, uh, let's get out of here. Yeah, finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.